This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain and foolish things? The kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth, are confederating together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us tear their bands asunder, says the psalmist in Psalm 2. One of the most profound prophetic statements in the Bible. Who would have ever believed that the Psalms would be a source of end-time prophecy? But they are. In fact, two of the most direct prophetic statements in the Bible come from the Psalms. We just quoted from Psalm 2, part of it, and we know that the peoples, the the leaders of the world, confederate together against the Lord and against his anointed. But then there is another group of people. There is a specific group of people that the Bible states in Psalm 83 that also confederate against Israel in a different way. We're going to talk about that here today on Viewpoint and figure out why. What is it about this group of people that the Bible specifically states will confederate against Israel in the end times? It's not just the kings of the earth. It's a specific group of people that are specifically named. It's not nations as we understand them today, but it's people groups. And we're going to take a look at them here today on Viewpoint. So I welcome you aboard. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and I trust that today will be no exception. God responded to the kings of the earth setting themselves against him and against Israel as his anointed, saying he was going to vex them in his sore displeasure. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. He says, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You remember my book, King of the Mountain, the eternal epic at end-time battle. It's about that king, that a king be set upon God's holy hill. But before that, there comes another king, a counterfeit king a counterfeit Messiah, a counterfeit Christ we refer to as Antichrist. And he will be placed by the nations of the earth upon the very mount that God has said in anticipation that he has set his king upon that holy hill. That king happens to be Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Holy One of Israel. God says in Psalm 2, I will declare, the Lord has said unto me, you are my son, this day have I begotten you, talking about Jesus. Ask of me, and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. So God then says, be wise now, therefore, you kings of the earth. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish for the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. But blessed are all they that put their trust in him. It sets forth in just 12 verses the picture of the end times 
with the heathen, the nations, or the the uh, uh, non-Jewish people of the world set themselves against the Lord and against Israel. But God says, look, I've set my king, Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, upon my holy mountain. I've already declared it. So what is it that you folk are trying to do? You might want to reconcile with me. You might want to just agree with my viewpoint that I've already done this and make up with my son, Jesus Christ, lest you perish from the earth. That having been said, we take a look at an article that came from the Jerusalem Post today. The title is Israel-Hamas Conflict, a Prophetic Window into the End Times. Now, we're not going to go through this big, this long article here because it's not necessary. But because there's so many things in this particular article that we have talked about so many, many times. But the headline alone is the focus. Israel-Hamas Conflict, a Prophetic Window into end times. So we ask ourselves the question, why is this a prophetic window? What is it that makes it a prophetic window? Well, there are a number of things that makes it a prophetic window, and we'll share some of those headlines with you and some of the uh, uh, articles that have come through uh, here just in the last day or so. This one is a very lengthy article coming also from a writer for the Jerusalem Post, Israel and U.S. and Global Implications of the War. Global Implications of the War. That should get our attention. And the writer gives a very, very well-thought-out understanding, not speaking about biblical implications, but also looking at the political and rationalizations, rationalizations that are taking place in order to justify increasingly what Hamas has done and to cause Israel to stop purging Hamas from Gaza and from her flanks. The next article comes from the Jerusalem Post as well. Palestinian minister says... Hamas's October 7th massacre of Israelis was heroic. Now, what made it heroic? Rajub, Fatah leader Jabril Rajub, I'm looking at his picture right now, you would never recognize him as a terrorist, called the massacre an earthquake, an unprecedented event. And he portrayed the attack of Hamas on Israel as a defensive action against Israel aggression, including its response to Hamas's attack. He says that Hamas was merely defending itself and that Israel, in essence, had no right to uh, defend itself because it was the reason for the attack in the first place. Now, Jabril Rajob, uh, is secretary of Fatah's Central Committee, and as I said, he praised the Hamas October 7th massacre in Israel's south during a press conference in Kuwait just uh, earlier this month. He called the attack 
during which thousands of Hamas terrorists invaded southern Israel, shooting, raping, burning, and beheading about 1,400 people. He called it, again, an earthquake. A defensive action against Israel aggression, including Israel's response to it. So he says this is just a defensive war that the Palestinian people have been fighting for 75 years. So in what way is it an offensive war? And is viewpoint now actually determining destiny? And are we seeing now historic viewpoints more than 75 years of age actually being played out now in fulfillment of biblical prophecy? That's what we want to look at here today on Viewpoint. Stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're looking at an eternal hatred. An eternal hatred. That's right. An eternal enmity. Who are the parties to this eternal hatred? Who are the parties to this eternal enmity? That's what we need to uh, reveal here today on Viewpoint, because if we don't understand this, We will get caught up in all the political machinations and rationalizations, justifications, political correctness, multiculturalism, religious pluralism that cloud the entire issue. Going to the uh, lengthy analysis by strategic advisor Eilette Frisch from the Jerusalem Post, she says, For better or for worse, the Israel-Hamas war has garnered a disproportionate amount of international attention, support, and criticism with world leaders and keyboard warriors alike weighing on Israel's diplomatic options as the Jewish state continues to push ahead on its goal of eradicating the threat of Hamas to have any chance at regional peace. She said it is clear to the world that the United States stands beside Israel as its closest ally. However, despite the momentous bipartisan support that the United States Congress and leadership have demonstrated, and the understanding of Israel's right to defend its citizens against an unrelenting enemy on its southern border, the images emerging from the war zone in Gaza and the mounting pressure on U.S. lawmakers amid cross-country public demonstrations will have major ramifications for ultimately establishing stability and security in the Middle East. Israel's institutional experiences over the past two decades have proven that Iran and its proxies, Hamas and Hezbollah, are the biggest impediment to long-term regional stability, not just for the normalization of Israel relations with countries in the region, but for the millions of Arabs who are partners for a brighter future. As foreign agencies continue to try to dictate Israel's best course of action, 
Israel must eliminate the root of what caused this war and address the potential outcomes from hostage release negotiations as the Israeli Hamas war approaches the end of its second month. So, notwithstanding the supposed uh, exchange of prisoners and so on, which itself is somewhat of a joke, revealing the weakness of the West in capitulating, releasing twice as many serious Hamas warriors in Jewish prisons, releasing twice as many of them as innocent civilians taken hostage by Hamas. Where's the equilibration of fairness? Where's all this discussion of fairness and equity now from the liberal media and from the Western world? It's just not there. This is showing a tremendous weakness and an attempt to try to declare that the positions of Hamas and uh, their surrounding, those countries that are surrounding them, that are actually supporting their endeavor showing the dramatic difference between that and Israel, and we need to understand why that dramatic difference. That's what we're going to focus on here today in the balance of the program. So I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation is always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. An article came out from international, the Israel International News, uh, formerly known as Arut Sheva, the Eternal Hatred, Lessons from Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and Esau, Lessons from Jacob and Esau. Now, what's that all about? Well, you remember that uh, there were two sons, twin sons, Jacob and Esau, and they were born And Esau was the firstborn. So he had the right to the first, to, to the birthright as the firstborn. But he bartered away that right because he was out in the country doing his hunting and he became famished. And Jacob was there cooking up a stew a red stew of some sort, and Esau asked him for some of his stew. So Jacob said, okay, I'll tell you what, brother, I'll give you some stew if you will give me your birthright. So Esau reasoned within himself. The Bible gives us this exact picture. Esau reasoned within himself, look, What good is my birthright going to do me if I'm dead? And I'm so hungry, I'm as as if I'm going to die. So why shouldn't I just barter away my birthright that is worth something so great just to survive? So he did. And the rest of the history is that Jacob then received the blessing of his father as the firstborn. 
Now, yes, indeed, as you read the Bible, you'll find out that it was taken by, shall we say, subtlety. His own mother conspired together to deceive her husband, Isaac, in order to get the blessing given to Jacob. Nevertheless, Isaac refused to recant the blessing. He said, what I have done, I have done. And he gave the blessing to his son Jacob of the firstborn. When Esau came tripping in later to provide the venison that his father was awaiting, that had already been delivered to him by Jacob, Isaac was troubled. He said, I've already given the blessing. Apparently, your brother has taken it. Now, Esau should have known that because he's the one that bartered away his birthright. That's the reason why the Bible says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Those were God's words. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. He didn't say, I just disapproved of what Esau did. He said, I hated it. Now, why did God hate what Esau did? Well, the reason he hated what Esau did was he gave away something of vast importance for something of very short-lived temporal value. And that's what Christians, professing Christians, are doing today. They're claiming salvation by faith in Christ, but they're living like the world. They're giving up, in many respects, their birthright in order to claim the benefits being offered by the world. They're living like the descendants of Esau. The descendants of Esau are referred to as Edomites. E-D-O-M, Edom. Esau lived in Edom. His people group lived in Edom. The Edomites showed no favor toward Israel ever. Ever. So great was God's antipathy toward the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, who were the brothers of Israel. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, they were the brothers of Israel, yet they acted as if they were total foreigners, and God said, this is intolerable. I am going to decree the absolute destruction of the descendants of Esau. So if you were to read the book of Obadiah, you would find that the entire book of Obadiah, short chapters, are given to God proclaiming the absolute destruction of the descendants of Esau, the Edomites. So here we have now an article coming from Israel National News Today, The Eternal Hatred, Lessons from Yaakov, that's Jacob, and Esau. This is right on. According to Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai, he said, it is well-known halakhic law, that is, the functional law established by the rabbis in Israel, 
that Esau hated Jacob. It's a halakhic law, he said. In other words, it's something that is not just a simple fact. It is something that is so deeply ingrained in the life pattern of Israel and the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, that it is, is as if it is an absolute law. So the rabbi Shimon ben Yahai teaches that Esau's hatred for you. Yaakov or Jacob is not something fleeting or situational. It's inherent and unchanging. That hatred is not temporary, but rather an eternal law, he said, like the immutability of the Torah itself. So the genuine underlying law and convention in Israel is that Esau hates Jacob. In other words, hates Israel. This ancient hatred between Jacob and Esau persists today in the relationship between the descendants of Jacob and Esau. Hamas's program battle cry was, slaughter the Jews. Though the world saw hardly any Christian leaders clearly condemned it, a tide of anti-Semitism has risen in Europe, the USA, Australia, and beyond. And it deeply affects even the church, writes this rabbi. He said, decades of dialogue are crumbling when Jews face attack, slaughter, and pogrom. And this is met, not with solidarity, but a ridiculous cacophony of diplomatic aerobics. We wonder what decades of Jewish-Christian dialogue have been used for talking about the friendship and fraternity, if that in reality... When there is someone who tries to exterminate the Jews, instead of receiving expressions of closeness and understanding, the response is diplomatic acrobatics. Balancing acts and icy equidistance, which is certainly equidistance, but is not fair. This rabbi has put his finger on a major part of the problem. A major part of the problem. And so from there, we're going to shift to back to the Psalms, and instead of Psalm 2, we're going to focus now on Psalm 83. Psalm 83. But before we do that, I want to make available to you my book, King of the Mountain, because it is extremely helpful to understand the antipathy of the world toward both Israel and Christians, genuine Christians. It's why the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain and foolish thing and confederate themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. That's what's happening. The... King James Version refers to such people as the heathen. They're the pagans. They're the people who are not true followers of God and are not true followers of Jesus Christ. No matter what their contentions are, no matter how much they use the name Jesus 
sort of as a, a, a mascot for the rest of their endeavors. It's not real. It's not true. And God hates it. From the Jewish perspective, please listen very carefully. From the Jewish perspective, the entire world have become Edomites. From the Jewish perspective, the entire world had become Edomites. God hated Esau. Jacob did he love. So if you don't love Israel and the Jewish people leaving their judgment to God, you've got a serious problem because you've aligned yourself with Esau. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Again, my friends, if you do not have my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic and End Time Battle, I urge you to get a copy of it. It is a $20 book, yours for $15, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. First of all, I want to say that our attitude toward Israel is not Israel right or wrong. It's not Jewish people right or wrong. God said to Abraham, I will bless you, those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. Now, That's God's viewpoint. The physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are what we call the Jewish people today, plus those from the ten northern tribes that were dispersed throughout the face of the earth through the uh, Assyrian attacks uh, many years before Israel, that is, before the Jewish people were dispersed through the Roman Uh, attack in 70 A.D. that destroyed the temple. The point is not this. The point for Gentile attitudes toward Israel is not Israel right or wrong. In other words, we're going to support Israel and everything that they do right or wrong. It's that our attitude has to be the attitude of God because God's attitude was I chose you, I chose them, 
to be a blessing. They are the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you and I are to align our attitudes and actions with that spirit. But God himself doesn't bless everything that Israel does. God has judged Israel over and over again. He's used foreign nations to judge Israel. Notice, he used them. But then he turned around and judged those nations that took out their retribution on Israel. Now, you and I don't want to put ourselves or even our countries in that position. That's God's business, friends. God's business is to judge his anointed, that is, Israel. His ultimate anointed was Jesus Christ. is Jesus Christ. You and I are to have an attitude of blessing and support for Israel and the Jewish people because God said so. Not because all your feelings are warm and cuddly. Not because you agree with every single thing that they do but because God said so. Any correction, vindication, and so on, is God's business. He's the one that chose them, not you. You and I are to agree with God's viewpoint. This is something that people have a very hard time comprehending. We do not have a choice in a sense, to disagree with what God did or said concerning Israel. That's God's business. He didn't choose them because they were so great, because they were so wonderful, because of anything great about them. They were the fewest of all the peoples. He didn't choose them for that reason. He chose them because he chose them. You didn't choose them. He did. And we've got to get this through our thick heads and our uh, self-pride and elevation of our own viewpoints over what God has said and done. Because if we don't, what we end up doing is aligning ourselves with the Edomites. And that, my friends, is not a pretty picture. Now, from there, we're going to shift to Psalm 83. Because this is going to bring in another group of people, several groups of people, including Edom. Here we go. Are you ready? Keep not silence, O God. Do not hold your peace and be still, O God. For lo, your enemies make a tumult, and they that hate you have lifted up their head. Notice, they that hate you, that is God, have lifted up their head. Now, how do they know, how does a psalmist know that they hate God? Because they hate Israel. That's why. Remember, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Because he hated his own brother. God doesn't take that kindly, my friends. They are of the same father and mother. Isaac. 
and Rebecca For lo, your enemies make a tumult, and they that hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people, that is Israel, and consulted against your hidden ones, referring again to the Jewish people. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Now, where did the name of Israel come from? God gave that name to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had a dream, and he wrestled with an angel, and God, as a result of that wrestling, said that he had gained victory, and because of that, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, as a prince with God. That's what Israel means. He is a prince with God. So anyone that opposes the prince with God is opposing God. Are you following this? So these other people groups have said, come and let us cut the prince of God and his people from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Now, what people groups want to do that? What people groups have come out loud and clear that they want to do that? Well, here are the people groups from God's perspective set forth in Psalm 83. They've consulted together with one consent. In other words, they're in total agreement. Their viewpoints are unified They are confederate against Israel. That is, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here they are. The tabernacles of Edom. The Edomites. That's the first one. And the Ishmaelites. Who are the Ishmaelites? The Arab nations. Remember... Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites, and they sold him into Egypt. The Ishmaelites, and then of Moab, and the Hagarenes. Who are the Hagarenes? The descendants of Hagar. Hagar was the mother of Ishmael. one of the sons of Abraham. The Muslims and Arabs claim that Ishmael was the son of promise, that the Bible is wrongly translated in Genesis chapter 12, and that it should have said that Ishmael was the son of promise. He was the son of Hagar who was a concubine, actually, she was the servant of Sarai, Abraham's wife. God said he was going to make of her descendants 12 princes, and that their descendants would be wild men. Wild. So when you look 
at what's happening with Hamas and how they're conducting themselves, their behavior, radically uncivilized, to the point where many commentators are referring to them as animals or beasts. You're not going to hear me use that term here because they're still made in the image of God. But they're conducting themselves like animals, like beasts. They have no sense of control. They are, the enmity that they have is so great that it is controlling every thought of their lives. The money that they receive that's supposed to bless the so-called Palestinian people that are under their rule doesn't get to those people. It's used to build military attacks against Israel. The Ishmaelites, the Hagarenes, and Moab. Who are the Moabites? The Moabites are the descendants of Moab, who is one of the sons of Lot by one of his daughters. Remember, Lot was drawn out of Sodom and Gomorrah together with his daughters? Well, his daughters were married, but their sons refused, their, their husbands refused to re, uh, leave Sodom and Gomorrah because they were infatuated with that going culture and its wickedness. So they were burned up in God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot's daughters came with him. Lot's wife looked back because she had a fascination with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and that culture, and she turned into a pillar of, of salt. Now, who was going to give children to Lot? It devolved to his two daughters, who conspired against him to have children and cause him to become drunken. And we'll talk about those children in just a moment. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're taking a look at the understanding the attack of Hamas and why it is that the Jerusalem Post would contain a headline. Israel-Hamas conflict, a prophetic window into the end times. 
We get that understanding from Psalm 2, but even more particularly from Psalm 83. In Psalm 83, we find God speaking about this pe- these people groups that are confederated together to cut off Israel from becoming a people, a nation, that the name Israel should be ever destroyed from off the face of the earth. Now that reflects a profound hatred or animosity or enmity, doesn't it? So the tabernacles of Edom, we've talked about the Edomites, God promised to destroy, absolutely, completely destroy. The Ishmaelites, these are the Arabs the descent, and also the descendants of Hagar, the Hagarenes. Then there are the Moabites. The Moabites are the descendants of Lot, together with the Ammonites. That's another people group that's listed in Psalm 83. The Ammonites and the Moabites. Those are the sons of Lot's daughters. Lot conceived those in his daughters by reason of his daughters confederating against him, saying, how else are we going to uh, have a uh, any progeny? So they confederated together to cause their, their father to become drunk. And they each went in unto their father on successive days, and the rest is history. Out came the Moabites and the Ammonites. These, Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Therefore, the Moabites and the Ammonites are the cousins of the Israelites. And they have been jealous. How dare these cousins of ours be called the chosen people? How dare they be given some special treatment by God? We'll see to that. So the enmity between them has been fierce over the years, ever since the birth of those boys, Ammon and Moab. You remember the Moabites tried to uh, take down Israel when Israel came out of Egypt. The Ammonites also. Several chapters in the book of Numbers, Numbers 22, 23, and 24, I believe it is, deal with the king of Moab trying to get a prophet, Balaam, to curse Israel because Israel was... uh, Uh, taking down all of the enemies of Israel, as God had told him to do. And the king of Moab was scared spitless. So he tried to get get Balaam, the prophet, to curse Israel. You see, all of this history ties together. You cannot understand what's happening today if you don't understand the rest of the story. Then there's another people group called Amalek. Amalek. Who are they? Well, you'll remember, perhaps, that when Israel came out of Egypt, the Amalekites, or Amalekites, however you want to pronounce it, attacked Israel without provocation from the rear. They went after the stragglers and the weak folk of Israel. 
as they came out of Egypt into the wilderness. God was so incensed by what they did that he prescribed and declared the ultimate destruction of Amalek. Then, as if that were not enough, you remember the first king of Israel, Saul, God gave him a responsibility to utterly and destroy the Amalekites or the Amalekites. He saved one, Agag. Now, there may have been some others that he saved too, but we know he saved Agag. And guess what? Later on, in the book of Esther, we find that Haman was an Agagite. Haman was of those who had been instructed by God to be destroyed. And now he was there to destroy Israel completely by the Persians, which is now Iran. God said, Amalek shall be utterly and totally destroyed. So we have two people groups that God declared to be utterly and totally destroyed. The Edomites and the Amalekites or Amalekites. Then there are two other people groups, particularly, that are mentioned. The Philistines. Now, where do the Philistines uh, live? Where did they inhabit? Gaza, the Gaza Strip. Remember the giants? Remember David's battles with the Philistines? Remember uh, Saul's battle with the Philistines? Yeah. Israel's still battling with the Philistines in Gaza. And then the inhabitants of Tyre, where are they? Well, they're up there in Lebanon. They're up there by Lebanon. Is Israel experiencing attacks from the north now? Hezbollah? Yes. These are all confederated together against Israel as God's anointed. And then it says, Asher has also joined with them as helped the children of Lot. Now, who are these people today? Well, uh, if you look at Jordan, you'll find that Jordan basically covers the area of formerly Moab and Ammon the Moabites and the Ammonites. So we begin to see a bigger picture here from God's viewpoint. And viewpoint determines destiny. If we do not embrace God's viewpoint and understand it, we're going to be confused, and we're going to adopt fleshly viewpoints. How can we possibly diss what God has said? How can we possibly agree with a rising global viewpoint that is against Israel? And that's exactly what's happening. These people groups now are becoming the centerpiece of the rest of the world's, the ungodly or pagan world's attack against Israel.
That's what's happening. So the psalmist concludes with God's words, let them be confounded, that is, those people groups, and troubled forever. Let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that you, whose name alone is Jehovah, are the most high over all the earth. Who are you going to align yourself with? You see, even the Pope now is aligning himself increasingly with the people groups of Psalm 83, the very ones that God has taken issue with. Why is he doing that? Because the Pope has embraced a completely different viewpoint, not the viewpoint given in the Bible, but the viewpoint of multiculturalism, religious pluralism, and political correctness. That's his unholy trinity of theology. That's unfortunately what happens when people wander away from the authority of God and his word. It's a serious problem, my friends. So when we hear the phrase, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. It is so radically contrary to God's expressed viewpoint in the scriptures that one wonders how in the world anybody that can read would adopt that kind of position. Because God gave through Abraham specific meets and bounds for the promised land. It was to include from, from Egypt, the river of Egypt, all the way up to Lebanon and from the uh, Mediterranean Sea all the way over to the Euphrates River. That's the land that God promised. That's the promised land. During the reign of David, King David, Israel occupied virtually all of that land, had control of it, as with Solomon. After that, when the ten northern tribes rebelled against David and against uh, God, they lost land. That land was lost. Assyria came in and was used by God to judge the rebellion of the ten northern tribes of Israel. There's so much more history here to understand. But the reality is, when they say from the river to the sea, that should be belong to the Palestinian people. There is no such thing as the Palestinian people historically. There is a Palestine, which is Israel. Palestine is Israel. And it didn't belong to any other people group other than those to whom God decreed it. Why, then, is there such a problem? The problem is a historic, unmitigated, eternal enmity. The hatred is so deep 
the rebellion, the sense of entitlement by the people groups that God has listed specifically is so great that in the Israel National News today it's called the eternal hatred. It's absolutely correct. That's exactly what it is. We cannot just try to rationalize what's going on there in terms of general Western viewpoints of life. If we try to do that, which is what the Western world is trying to do, to press these issues into a Western mindset, it is impossible, friends. God has decreed, declared what that mindset is. It's an eternal enmity, so great that God himself has set himself against these people groups. And more specifically, even the greater, Amalek and Edom. Do you know that not only does Israel consider the Edomites to be the entire world now, the entire Gentile world, but also considers the entire general uh, Gentile world to be the Amalekites. In other words, they have been generalized so that all the rest of the world is against Israel. And that's exactly what God said would happen in Zechariah chapter 12. All the nations will come against Israel and Jerusalem and will surround. And God is going to judge them. Joel, the prophet, says God is going to judge them for how they tried to parse his land. This is not a game anymore, friends. We're at the end of the age. That's the point. People get ready. Let's adjust our attitudes to agree with God's attitude. And let's let God deal with the nations. Let God deal with Israel. Let's let God deal with us to be truly repentant and godly people, to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Today, today is the day of salvation. God bless and will be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.